Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the Big Football Show. Uh, this is Ari Wasserman, national recruiting writer for The Athletic, and I'm joined by my favorite person to argue with in public, Nick Baumgartner. Why <laughs> am your favorite person? You have like a thousand people you argue with in public. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I've always uh, genuinely loved. Um, it's a annual tradition. Uh, sure, yeah. used to be anyway, where we would, you know, go out for Big Ten media days, or, or maybe even the athletic staff meeting out in Indianapolis, go get a few brews, and I'll scream about why, why I think Michigan should be recruiting better. Yeah, uh, right. And anybody who's followed my work can hear the screaming through the things that I write, but. Um, this is going to be a, a special edition of the show where we talk about National Signing Day or the old version of the National Signing Day and, you know, kind of try to gauge a picture of just the way the Big Ten did this year. And, you know, I don't want this to be a 30 minute discussion about how good Ohio State is at recruiting because that's kind of boring. Um, but I did want to start, Nick, with something that I'm sure you know quite a bit about. And Michigan had a pretty good get, pretty good day, right? Uh, I think so. You know, f- I mean, a, a good close, I guess, right? You can look at it that way. I mean, Think about this, Ari. Like, you took, look at it this way for me. Michigan needed to when they go in when they went into this cycle, all the things that was going on, right? Like last year was a mess. Nobody knew what was going to happen with Harbaugh. Regardless of what happened, they had to fix. And you know, you've talked about this for a long time, and it took me a while to come around on it. But and, but eventually, I think I agreed with you in that their in-state recruiting needed to be repaired. Their relationships in Detroit needed to be fixed. Um, it got really rough, and I think flipping Rayshon Benny back, you know, because, I mean, they didn't have him in the first place, but they had relationships with him. So to be able to get him back um, at a position of need, I think that's a nice close, but it's also a ding on Mel Tucker, too. I mean, it's taken a kid away from them that they really needed. So it's a nice close, but, like, it's sort of what we've come to expect from Harbaugh's classes. They're 10 to 15, something like that, right? So Yeah, yeah. I'm number 10 mm-hmm. overall nationally, and uh, I think – Recruiting results are always uh, important to you know look through the lens of context, and when you get a guy like Rayshon Benny, who uh, you know was leaning toward Michigan at first, right. then the the world caught on fire in Ann Arbor, uh, you know, and Harbaugh rumors began to swirl, and then he ended up at Michigan State, and then Michigan got him back, mm-hmm. and you know that is the number six overall player in Michigan, the top 200 player, and it's a double whammy when you take him away from a rival. So just the idea, maybe even the sim- symbolism of it, you know, yeah. is important. Yeah. But, you know, that gave Michigan uh, four commitments from the top seven players in the state of Michigan, which I think is passable. Now, I know you want to get the Rocco Spindlers of the world and, and even Damon Payne, who's in Belleville, who's a you know five-star prospect who's going to Alabama. But if Alabama comes into Michigan and beats you for a kid, then you just have to live with it because yeah. that's Alabama. You know, I think I think that from where things were to where they are now, um, this is a above-average class, and the finish makes you hopeful. And I, I was wondering, how much of the finish do you think was uh, involved in Harbaugh creating a new contract that created some st- stability? Or 
you know, maybe a revamped, more youthful coaching staff. It seems like he did everything he could to to put Michigan on a new trajectory. And it, it seems like it's paid off in the at least shortcoming or the short period between the changes and the national signing day. Yeah, there's two pieces to look at it. You go back to December and remember that they went into the early signing week um, and he didn't have a deal. Uh, there was nothing done. It was still open. You know, he was telling kids that it was in his intent to be here, but, you know, they were able to sort of because it could have been worse. That was the thing we were talking about in December. Michigan's class could have completely fallen apart, and they could have still kept Harbaugh, and it would have been a disaster. But it didn't. They were able to grind through it. You get into this month, and they're able to finish strong. And Ari, to your second point, I think you know it speaks to the youth on the staff and hiring people like Ron Bellamy and Mike Hart. And you know, not to nitpick all the way down the road here, but like Ron Bellamy's been a top-level high school football coach in this state for several years now. He's a former player. Probably should have been the program before this year, if we're just going to be honest. Mike Hart is the same. It's the same thing. I mean, Mike Hart's been climbing the ladder at Indiana, was a very valued assistant there. Why it took so long for guys like that to join the staff is another question for another day. But that's the layered discussion for uh, around Harbaugh that, you know, he does enough in this moment to, I don't know, I don't know if salvage is the right word, because I don't think that's correct, but, you know, to finish a good class. But now the question becomes, like, what happens from here? Because are you going to be able to keep everybody together, everything else? But recruiting-wise, honestly, he finds a way more than he doesn't to get himself in that, like, Penn State area of the, the board, right? Like, the 8 through 12. He's He's been in there more than he hasn't. At this point, you know, the Harbaugh thing becomes more of a question about are you developing guys? But, you know, the recruiting, it's still healthy enough, it seems, anyway. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Should it be better? Maybe. But I guess we'll see. I mean, the problem with Michigan uh, has always been that they are being directly compared to Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, I don't know if it's even rational to do that anymore because Ohio State's gone off onto a level that only two or three other programs in the sport have accomplished. And signing the number 10 class in the country in the Big Ten puts you in the Big Ten championship game if you're on the other side of the Big Ten. Right, yeah. Michigan's unfortunate reality is that they have to face Ohio State at the last uh, game of the the season every year but you know a five-star quarterback like J.J. McCarthy Donovan Edwards is a one of the best you know running backs in the entire sport um a high school football level at least and you know holding on to Xavier Worthy at a time when there was some uncertainty about Harbaugh's future I mean I would I would give Michigan a A for how they held this together and you know that's the most important thing and I just wanted to get your thought process on this because this is something that struck me from afar when I saw how Harbaugh revamped Michigan's staff. It seems very much like Ohio State staff. I mean, didn't they just get rid of a bunch of the older player, uh, older assistants and then replace them with people in their 30s? Um, it's a very diverse staff. Um, you have former players in there with ties um, to the program. You have former high school coaches from Michigan who have ties to high school programs in Michigan. It seemed like a very functional change across the board. And moving forward, I think Michigan is in a position, especially because Detroit is a a really important area for high school talent. And Michigan is a little bit underrated, I think, for how many good players are in that state. It makes me feel like Michigan is in a place, at the very least, where 10 is the baseline of what they can accomplish in this realm moving forward. It should be. And, you know, I think the premium or a premium was put on, you know, and you, you saw in those assistant hires, you know, guys who could recruit and coach. You know, a lot of times we've seen with Harbaugh over the years, he's had job openings. Um, you know, there's a couple times where, you know, Devin Bush Sr. was on the staff here, right? Devin Bush Jr. obviously came and Devin Sr. was an analyst. And like, for example, there's a couple times where there was like a safeties coach job open. And, 
you know, Devin Bush Sr. wasn't a head, wasn't a coach for very long, but he was still, you know, he was a guy who could coach. He was a guy who obviously kids liked. He helped him get recruits. Like, would have made sense maybe to just put him in there and let him do it and let him learn and be a young coach and he'd probably help you in recruiting and you could teach him up. They didn't. They hired a guy from the NFL who didn't really know how to recruit. And that's sort of, that's not one, that's one example. There's been others, of course. But in this case, it did seem like, you know, Harbaugh's not going to hire guys, I don't think, that are bad coaches, that are just recruiters that can't coach, right? I don't think that's his intent, but I think that in this case, it did seem that they put more emphasis on, can you recruit? Are you able to relate with younger people? Um, Because for him right now, that's like, you know, box check number one. He's got to be able to be better at that himself. And I think his staff in turn, uh, you know, obviously had to help him with that. You know, looking at the entire Big Ten right now, um, and I could talk to you about Michigan football all day, and maybe we'll circle back yep. at it at the end because I'm not satisfied <laughs> yet. But uh, uh, um, Ohio State's got five five-star prospects committed, um, 13 prospects, uh, four-star uh, rated, and yeah. they have eight of the top 50 in, in the country. And I think the rest of the Big Ten combined, you can count that on one hand. And I'm wondering, just from your perspective, because you're intimately involved in covering a team that – might be one of the few that has a chance to break into that. But, you know, just from even a national perspective, when you look at recruiting, um, what is it possible for any of these second-tier teams, whether it be Michigan, whether it be Wisconsin, um, maybe they're a little bit more geographically challenged, but, you know, a Penn State, for instance, or any of these other teams that are in the Big Ten to try to match that? Like, I guess you could start with, is, is, is Michigan physically, is it possible for them to do that? And if not, like, or if it is, then what's the first step? Because I think that's an interesting dynamic and a a pretty important discussion in college football in general. How do you take a program that might be number 12 overall in the country and make it number three overall? I think that's a more drastic jump probably than taking a team that's number 50 and putting them into the top 20. Yeah. And it's just like, what do you do? Like, and it's, when we talk, when we talk about the playoff and the expansion of the playoff, this is the conversation that has to drive it because going from like you said going from 50 to 20 is impressive you know like it's noted you know that's a that's hard work and that's something that you should be proud of but damn like going from six to three is i mean it's like jumping off of a building or something it's crazy it's like the most difficult thing to do in college football we've seen it i've seen it up close because michigan lived it for a couple years there they've since lowered themselves you know hardball's it slipped but you know 15 16 18, those years, that that was Michigan. They were five or six, four or five, and they were not even close to being on the same, like, except for 16. They just didn't have it. And, like, that's that's the description of how far away it becomes when you get beyond Ohio State, Alabama, you know, Georgia, Clemson, LSU now, you know, those those schools that just completely dominate this thing. Because, no, physically Michigan is not – Michigan would have to play – I don't even know if this works. I mean, they're going to have to play their best game. Ohio State has to play its worst game. And I still don't know if they have enough physically because that's that's how far the gap has gotten. And Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin are talent-wise you know, toward the top of the list in the Big Ten. And it's the same with all those schools in Ohio State right now. So part of it is like the playoff has to expand. And honestly, Ohio State has to stumble at some point. Like they do. Like other teams in this league are not going to – catch Ohio State until Ohio State has some sort of thing happen to its program that everyone else in the Big Ten has had to go through, and they've sort of been bulletproof on it over and over again, which is those transitions. When you go from one coach to the next, it's never, ever fallen off. It's only seemingly gotten better. So we'll see with Ryan Day, of course, but 
I gotta say that's that's a big part of it. Ohio State has to be <laughs> has to pull the car over a little bit for somebody to catch yeah. up because it's getting hard to see any other way for that happening. But I think that the way that you catch Ohio State is by signing a class with five five star prospects and eight top players. Well, yeah, players. but they're doing it too. So how do you how do you flip? Yeah, that yeah, but know. like, but step one is I think it's like very easy to say what does Michigan have to do to beat Ohio State on the field, and it's going to happen eventually. Uh, but you would think, yeah, I think. The, the bigger question is, what is the first step of what Michigan has to do to recruit in the four to seven range and really get into yeah. a, a position? Because, like, number 10 is a great class. Right. I don't want to sit here and act like that's not a successful class. It's uh, in the top 90 percent or percentile here. And, you know, that's the way it, the way it goes. But I just, like, I've always want to know, like, if you're Penn State or James Franklin even, yeah. like, what is the first step? Is it keeping the most elite players home? Is it expanding to a, a different strategy is it or, or is it all based and driven on how well you perform because aside from this past year which was a pretty weird year with covid and you know michigan had a lot of turnover like do you have to, it's, it's like a chicken and the egg thing do you have to win 11 games three years in a row yeah, to get good I mean, players I do. Or do I you think need you the good to, players to get i think you have to do all those things you have to put people in the league obviously you have to continue to do that and michigan does that but i would argue that you know you have to continue to put people in the league in the top couple rounds because you know i think that's what really elevated Ohio State's um, recruiting into a different stratosphere was their ability to get kids. And then suddenly it was this first-round pick, first-round pick, first-round pick, and you're just like, that's just over and over. So you got to continue to do that. But also, yeah, you got to beat them. Like, I think that in order to recruit at their level, in order because, you know, they compete for kids. I mean, that's just how it's going to go. You're, you're, you know, 200 miles apart, whatever the hell it is. So in order to get some of those kids that you're going to have to enter into battles with to even give you the time of day, you have to beat them at least once. You have to then also on top of that, take care of your business elsewhere and be a 10 or 11 team every year that is right there. And you're, I think that that's the only way to do it. Your sales point would have to be like, look, we are banging on the door every year. We're banging on the door. You see it, you know, three, four years in a row, 10, 11 wins, something like that. We're right there. We're just coming up short. We're competitive in these games, these red letter games, but we need you Five star, whatever from wherever to come in here and put it over the top. That's that's probably the the cleanest blueprint. But it all starts and stops with you have to be able to compete with them on the field. And we've talked for however long here, and we haven't mentioned like the last three times, two times, three times they've played each other. Whatever it's been, it's just been not even close or less two, I guess. Uh, last year was yeah. canceled, so like that's kids see that it's not even close. The last three, the last two games that those two teams played were like. Might as well have been an FCS team playing a 1A team. It was complete blowout city. Why are you watching that if you're an 18-year-old kid and even thinking about looking at Michigan? Yeah. Why are you even thinking about it? Like that's but a, lot of, but a lot of these kids think that they're the missing link. Sure, you know, but there's, there's a, a lot of missing links uh, on <laughs> 56, tw- whatever it was. You know, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So. No, I know. I just like – the thing that I always feel like is important and, you know, Michigan uh, is very in, uh, in a position to – sell things that a lot of these other programs can't. I mean, if you're yeah, yeah, Rutgers sure. or Michigan State even or Northwestern, Indiana, Purdue, Illinois, like Michigan is a beautiful campus. I think that Ann Arbor is the best college town in the entire Big Ten. Maybe Madison is up there with it. Um, academic standards are incredible. Uniforms are amazing. Facilities are insane. They've got more money. than They've got enough money they haven't even looked at yet. You know, yeah. And it just seems to me that of all the things that a powerhouse program can sell, Michigan can sell just as well as a, a Clemson. And it's like maybe Dabo Sweeney is the best coach of all time behind yeah. Nick Saban because he was able to make to make that jump. Because I can't think of another example of a program, maybe Georgia's on the cusp of it because they're recruiting insane. Um, 
and of course they have a unique advantage because they're close to Atlanta and the only real major uh, powerhouse in their own talent rich state but like it's been done before and it hasn't oh and I guess Clemson didn't have to have Ohio State waiting for it at the end of the season in order to build this but it's like I don't even know what the first step is so and it's like the thing too that I don't understand is that Michigan and Penn State have been very similarly uh, talented. And we'll get to Penn State here in a minute. But Penn State has been a thorn in Ohio State's side. Every time they play them, it's even even though Ohio State has it's a similar talent advantage that they do in the Michigan game, that game always seems to be more of a a problem for Ohio State. And I don't know if that's a development thing, a coaching thing, a scheme thing. Maybe it's just a mental thing at this point. Maybe Ohio State just is in Michigan's head. But I think if you sign top 10 classes – Year after year after year, even if Ohio State is starting to recruit more and more like Alabama as the years go on, you should still have a really good football team. Well, that's so. Yeah. I mean, I think that Michigan isn't as far behind as it seems on the field. And I'm very curious to see what a revamped coaching staff will not only do from a recruiting standpoint, but from a development and, and scheme standpoint, because I feel like I'm alone on an island somewhere thinking I, that Michigan isn't as impossible of a job or isn't as far behind as everybody else is. Because there's teams that are recruiting at the same level that are, are, are competing at a higher level. I mean, even Clemson, for instance, you know, they're they're the – and Dabo might just be a wizard. I don't know. Well, uh, he's, he's a not special only coach, and so is Urban. Like you haven't mentioned – like you said, you know, Saban's the greatest coach in our – probably our lives in terms of college football that we've seen yeah. you know, up close, but urban is number two for me. It's not even and urban's number two. Yeah. And I would argue there's a gap after that, but, but maybe yeah. Dabo sneaks up there and makes it tighter in the last couple of years. Right. But like, that's a big part of it for Michigan. Now the Penn state part is the interesting thing that you bring up because people here used to bring that up all the time. Like well, Penn state's in the same boat. Why do you guys not bash on them all the time? Like you <laughs> bash on Michigan. And the answer in the last couple of years was like, they're still competing with them somewhat. They're still playing. They're in the game. They're not, you know, they're not getting completely waxed out of the building. And, you know, the first year Harbaugh coach against Ohio State was a blowout. The second year was the one they should have won, and they let it go, and they blew it. And that was the one that we all knew was going to haunt them forever, and it has. 17, they were close-ish, but not really. I guess it was a fourth-quarter game, but it was still Ohio State end advantage. And then 18 and 19 have been complete blowouts. So three of those five are complete blowouts. And... That's really what it is. I think Michigan recruits more or less as well as it can with how it performs in big games because it lets itself down. It lets the, you know, everybody builds these things up and then they get the rug pulled out from under them. And I think that impacts everything, including recruiting. I think their recruiting is as good as as could be expected in a weird way for how they perform in season. They don't deliver. They don't, you know, they have teams, they've had teams with talent before. That they always seem to come up short. That's been the situation with them for the last decade plus. And I think that that is ultimately the big difference there in that, you know, you see them play yeah. in these games. How many times have we seen Penn State get just manhandled by Wisconsin like we've seen Michigan get in you know, the last couple of years? That doesn't really happen. Yeah. So those are the differences now. And I think that those are the more alarming things because they have to get it back to at least being manageable, right? Just get yourself into a situation talent-wise where you can go play Ohio State you get 15 minutes to go in the game, and it's a 10-point game, right? You're That's about all you can ask for at this point, and I think you'd take it and say, let's let's see what happens. But they're not even they're not even in that stratosphere right now. They have to get back to that, I think, to even start having the conversation about catching them. I mean, I think you do that when you sign the number 10 class in the country and you have a quarterback that is a five-star prospect. You would hope, and, but you got to coach them up. You know, yeah, you got to coach yeah, them now. And it, 
it's a very interesting dynamic because the two highest rated players in uh, in Michigan's class mm-hmm. were once on Ohio State's board and players that Ohio State passed on. So, like to me, this is an interesting well. That's the window other thing in, like to, to bring up here is that Ohio State staff has done more with better talent. Basic, right? I mean, pretty much every year they're they're better coached. They you know they're, they're just a better team. So it's it's also better talent, but they're better coached. And I think that. If you're just getting out recruited and there's not a lot you feel like you can do because they have a stranglehold here or whatever and it's just hard to get in, the way you can close that gap is to just be like the most disciplined, hard-charging, we are not going to roll over team and we're going to be here the whole way and fight you the full 60 minutes. When Malzahn beat Saban like three times, right? Uh, Yeah, it's insane. Every time he did it, you go watch those Auburn games. They play wire to wire the full 60, and they make every single play they have to make the whole game. When we watch Michigan-Ohio State, even in those close games in the last five to ten years, how many times we see Michigan drop an interception or jump off sides or fumble near the goal line? Yeah, Like that stuff where you're just like, that's the stuff that has to go Because having to play perfect is a really hard standard to live. It is. but Going into it knowing that. But you know, you know, when when those Auburn teams would go play Bama like that, you know, I'm sure they were told, like, you have to be perfect today, guys, or we're getting our ass kicked. Like, that's how this is going to (laughs) go. And, you know, it's a hard ass, but, like, sometimes you have to – that's kind of the reality of it. And I think for Michigan, that's a big part of it. I think another aspect of this conversation we're not going to get to is, like, Malzahn has always kind of been, like – the way that fired him yeah. for doing what they did. I have no idea what's going on there uh, because I feel like if Michigan right. could beat yeah, Auburn, that they would take that in a second. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing that they did with, with Harbaugh's salary and incentive base. Yeah. And I don't know if that's going to be the norm in college football, but I thought it was cool. Like, it's a pandemic. You don't want yeah. to get rid of yeah. a guy that, you know, you care about a lot who's a Michigan man who was supposed to be the savior of the program. Give him a chance to hire a new staff. Put yourself in that position um, and, and do that. So I'm very curious to see how Michigan responds to this interesting contract. But I, I'm wondering, too, like with Penn State, the, the Big Ten East, and mm-hmm. we're talking about the recruiting results here. Penn yeah. State had a horrid year. Yeah, big time. Horrid year. That's going to be interesting. You know, and I don't know if that's a one – because they're off to a really good start in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got – speaking of in-state issues, uh, only one commitment in the top ten in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's commit. not good. You know, and that one kid got a ratings bump after that got him into the top eight. Do you think that you know, as this becomes less of a pressure cooker, and I guess maybe we can just keep it in the into the context of Ohio State and trying to catch them in the Big Ten? But what does this mean for the Big Ten East when Maryland has the fourth best uh, recruiting class in the in the conference behind? you know, behind only Ohio State and Michigan, and it's just like two spots ahead of Penn State, and then you've got Rutgers, Michigan State there, and Indiana towards the bottom half of the conference. It's like, yeah. is, does Maryland have a chance if they're going to pull a five-star prospect every year out of their uh, rear ends here? Well, he's got to, I don't know. He's got to coach him, number one, but I think that, like, you're bringing up a good point here because, you know, Penn State was 21 in this cycle, right? Last year they were 15, which is also a little lower than maybe you yeah. would want it to be. So that's now... Back-to-back classes, um, when you look at this thing, and, you know, when you're talking about the highest stakes of college football, which is the playoff, you know this, you can't miss classes. You can't have a class that's 21st. Not a single one. You, if, and if your previous one is 15th, then I see that next year they've got a good start. They're off. They're, like, number three in the early, early. They better finish number three. That's, that's what I would say. Yeah, like, that's how you – yeah. You're, you, don't, you don't escape – um, you're really bad misses, I feel like. That's been proven throughout time. So we'll see. Franklin is a weird case, though, because he's 
they were, I was convinced in whatever year that was, uh, probably everybody was, um, where they beat Ohio State in overtime that year. Like, that was going to be the year that he was going to get fired. I mean, like, he hadn't gotten it going. They lost, you know, momentum was not working out. It looked like it was dying. And then they just completely turned everything around, like, overnight and changed everything. And I have wondered how long they've been able, you know, how long they're going to be able to live off that. And I do wonder now that, you know, this is back-to-back classes that aren't exactly loaded. So, we'll see. Yeah, just to put it in perspective, Ohio State had no chance to hang out, hang on to a game with Alabama in the national championship game because their secondary, from a personnel standpoint, was underwhelming. Yeah. And it was because of one single class that went wrong. Yeah. At one position group. So I know that that's not necessarily the same example. Pretty close. But though. all it takes is one recruiting class and one position to be weak, and your entire team is weak at that position moving forward. So, like, I know people are like, oh, that's an anomaly. No big deal. It's um, never no big deal. <laughs> it's never no big deal uh, when it comes to to what's going on here. And it, the fact that they only signed four players um, out of Pennsylvania yeah, in the entire class is a very odd thing. And Nolan Rucci, who's a five-star offensive tackle who grew up two hours away from Penn State, is going to Wisconsin. I know he has a brother there, but his parents are season ticket holders at Penn State. Like, to oh. me, these are like borderline <laughs> fireable offenses. Ohio State signed two of the top five players in Pennsylvania. Clemson got one, Pitt got one, and LSU got one of the top six. And then, like, Penn State is completely non-existent in their own state. And, you know, I know that it's hard. And and as the coronavirus takes over and things become more Zoom-oriented and more national, you know, teams are going to be recruiting and widening their net. You know, and in Michigan, if I recall, too, at the beginning stages out in California, and, and, you know, their their recruiting plan, I think, is kind of all over the place. But... Pennsylvania is a very deep state for talent. I know it's a very complicated state because Philadelphia and Pittsburgh might as well be different countries. But they're the state college of a a state that's got easy access to the DMV area and a very, very deep state. And it's just like, I think Penn State signed the number six class like three or four years ago and got Micah Parsons. And it's like, oh, you mean the best players on their team this year were a part of that class? And it's just like, I don't know if I just have unreasonable expectations for how good these Big Ten teams should be recruiting but you know when I look at the top 25 of the actual um total rankings and I see teams like North Carolina at 14 Wisconsin at 15 Tennessee at 16 Ole Miss 18 Maryland 19 Nebraska 20 like I think it's unbelievable that Penn State's outside of the top 20 that program is a top 20 pro or was I mean what's going on here I don't know they have I'm looking at their top they didn't get anybody in the top five I mean if you lose if you lose kids to Ohio State and Clemson in Pennsylvania or even LSU, I suppose I can, you know, it's a competitive state, right? It's a deep state. There's yeah. a lot of kids. But if you're losing the top player to Wisconsin and you're losing, you know, a kid to Pitt, like, come on. <laughs> yeah. If you're losing a kid to Pitt, like that, that's from Pittsburgh. I mean, I get it. He's from Pittsburgh. I guess that's a different deal. But, yeah, I don't know. It's like, a weird uh, state. Like Aaron you, Donald's yeah, nephew. It's a weird state, <laughs> like you said. But at the same time. It's not good. I mean, it's not good. It's 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 a low. That's a light class yeah. for Penn State. That needs to be it's better. A, yeah. It's a very interesting thing all the time. You can look at individual recruitments and go, well, that's Aaron Donald's nephew, and Aaron Donald played at Pitt, and he's from Pittsburgh. They're gonna. You can't do that every time. No. And like Michigan's done that too, where this guy has a bad relationship with this high school coach, or this yeah, guy yeah, doesn't right. love Michigan, <laughs> and all the excuses. And individually speaking, you can come up with excuses, or they were never going to get that guy. But if you do it seven or eight times a year. Right then you got to look at the bigger picture here. And it's not just no, losing Nolan Rucci to Wisconsin, who has a brother who plays there. Right. Or not getting the, the the kid from Pittsburgh that, you know, has ties to Pitt. Like, those things happen all the time. You have to be able to break through them. 
Um, but I'm just wondering, do you think that like looking at these rankings right now, you got Wisconsin at three and they, they own the, the West right now, yeah. but does Maryland have a chance to do anything uh, in the East, in your opinion? Or do you think that Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State are just too much to overcome for them to even be competitive? Maryland's weird because they always end up, you know, just because of where they are, and there's so many good players there, um, that they always seem to end up having better talent than, you know, sort of what we see on the field, I guess. Um, But I would, no, not yet, I I would say, because I think that they need, like, two or three of these, you know what I mean? Like, this is a really good class, don't get me wrong. Like, that's a terrific group and a a building block for Loxie and everything else that they can work off of. But I feel like they need at least one more, maybe two more, um, you know, in the teens or whatever, or something like that to where they're still competing for top 150, top 200 guys uh, and landing them. But, you know, that's a a great start. I just, you know, it's so much change has happened there, yeah, so it's hard to say. Maryland has been, at least, you know, in my time covering Ohio State, whenever you would go to a Maryland game, outside of the 2018 one, which was one of the craziest games I've ever seen, it felt like they were playing Rutgers. Yeah, they just and they were too much always change. had talent, yeah, right. you know. So to get Brandon Jennings away from from Michigan, yep. I think was a big step for them. Um, you know, they got a top seventy player from from Maryland in that, and then they got a five star prospect Miami, out of yeah. Florida. You know, and you know, I think that's a pretty good start. So um, I want to go a little bit over to the West now. I don't think we have to touch on everybody, but what is going on with Nebraska? Like, what is your <laughs> what is your take on that? Is it is it? Let me just start with this. Do you think it's a hopeless job at this oh, point in, in twenty twenty one? Well, for their expectations, for what that's a big the, the expectations really are what drives that conversation because for the, the, that would start and stop with what does Nebraska want to be right? Like the question of like what do you think that you should be if you're Nebraska? Like when you ask Iowa people that, they have a pretty quick answer, right? It's we want to be competitive in the West. We want to win the win the West once in a while, and you know, ruin somebody's season along the way, and have a lot of fun while we're doing it. Right? That's and people enjoy it. They pack the stadium every week, and it's fine. They're a regional recruiting program that lives on its base and everything else. I don't know what Nebraska wants to be. I think that they're operating under the at least they were at one time operating under the assumption that they were the, some sleeping giant that just needed to bring Scott Frost in here, and everything was just going to take off. And I got to tell you, like, there's just no way. I mean, you're not going to be able to recruit regionally in that part of the country and have a defense that can even remotely hang in the East with anybody at the top of that division. And everything on offense has to click, and it hasn't. So I I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Nebraska's recruiting brand even is. I don't know how far it stretches. I mean, the program was built back in the day on Prop 48 stuff with Tom Osborne and all that, and the recruiting has changed so much over time, and they've been nothing for so long that I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the plan. I mean, when they hired Scott Frost, you remember this, like the, the thing we yeah. heard a lot was like, I'm going to do it the same way that Coach Osborne did it. And I'm like, well, that was like 1980-something, man. Like, this is not, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so it hasn't, I mean, you know, they've obviously been bad on the field, and that's probably impacting it. You'd know, you would know better than I, yeah. but I don't know what their recruiting plan is. I mean, Iowa. They have, they've had competent recruiting results. They haven't it's been. It's fine. I mean, they get nice yeah. players. I see kids from the Midwest that end up there that are, you know, really good prospects. I see kids that go to the Senior Bowl every year when we do NFL scout stuff that's like, oh, yeah, he's a good player. They have good players. But, like, it's never enough. It's never enough at the right time. It's one of those type of deals. So, yeah, I have no idea. You know, I, I think that overall in the Big Ten, if you look at it, um, there's only a handful of teams that can compete to be in the top 25 every year, three of which are Ohio State, Michigan, uh, and Penn State. Yeah. And I think that's the baseline of it. But it seems like the Big Ten has a geography problem because mm. – and I, and I don't know if it's just because of the way recruiting works now, but 
Illinois doesn't have any real geography. No, right? no. And you could say that Chicago is a is a place to recruit, but, but that's fine. Yeah, it's really not. <laughs> it's not. No. And, and Northwestern <laughs> has spent a lot of money branding Chicago right. or Chicago's team yeah. or whatever. I know Illinois and Northwestern are constantly banging their heads on who's Chicago's team. It doesn't freaking matter who Chicago's <laughs> team is. There's no talent there. Uh, <laughs> Purdue and Indiana. There's no talent in Indiana. There's, some, okay. there's a little bit in Indianapolis, but there's not a, enough. No, not every enough. now and then, a player is – and if they're really good at Indianapolis and they go to Michigan, Ohio State. Yeah, not Penn enough State. to build a team on. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's for sure. You know, Michigan State is trying to battle Michigan head-to-head for all the players that are in the Bellevilles and the Bloomfields and the Detroit yeah. area. Like, But Iowa and Minnesota aren't, aren't talent bases. Nope. And Nebraska's not a talent base. And at that point – you're asking programs that have no national profile to recruit nationally. And there's only so far you can go because you can't go into to Los Angeles and no. get a kid to come to Minnesota. It's just hard, you know, and it's not – a lot of times, too, I like to envision a, a, a situation where I'm a head coach in college football. It's like, what job would you take? Your first head coach. <laughs> I wouldn't take any job that doesn't have at least 10 players in the state every year that rank in the top 200. And like the Big Ten has has an issue with that, and it's not something that's easily overcomable. It's not something that you can easily overcome. And Nebraska is the perfect example of this. It's really hard to get to Lincoln. It, it, I don't know if there's it, an airport there, Omaha. But whenever I would cover, it's an hour away. Whenever, is, which is yeah, also whenever I would hard to get to yeah. sometimes. Yeah, and I I would uh, fly into Kansas City and drive up mm-hmm. from Kansas City when I would fly there for away games. And it's just like from an unofficial visit standpoint, there's nobody in Nebraska. And when they do, right. you know, it might be one or two players. And it's like the best player in Nebraska's class, I think, came from Hawaii. You know, or the best player in their class is a is a top 100 tight end from Iowa. Yeah, so, right. you know, but their second best player came from Hawaii. And it's like, that was a great get. Look, but random. this isn't a sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, to me, when you talk about the, the Michigan and Penn State's, and even Wisconsin has a has a geography problem. But the only sustainable way to be a really good football program year in and year out is to have the players that are 20 minutes away. Yeah. And there's only a few teams in the Big Ten that do it. And the other teams that are in the Big Ten that have that, Rutgers has, the, has a pretty unique recruiting advantage. Rutgers is the only state university that plays Power 5 football in the state of New Jersey. Right, yeah. Ohio State's the only Power 5 team in Ohio. Georgia... Georgia Tech doesn't count, but Georgia, LSU, there's a few of them that are in this position. Um, but Rutgers has a long way to go before that even matters. Michigan State has to butt heads with a, another team that there is a rival in their own state. I just I, I look at the Big Ten and I try to think like, can this be like the ACC where you have you know five, six, seven teams that are mm. actually kind of on the way up? Because the ACC was, for lack of a better word, dog shit yeah. <laughs> for the past few years. And, like, now they have North Carolina. They've got a new coach at Florida State who's trying to get it back. Miami just had one of their best recruiting cycles of the past five years. Clemson is Clemson. You know, they have some teams in there. And I'm wondering, like, yeah, the Big Ten is much improved than it was when Urban Meyer took over in 2012. I think it's come a long way in the last eight years. But I wonder if we're, like, at the apex of the ceiling. Like, I don't know, like, the year that Michigan Michigan State and Ohio State were all really good. Yeah. I, and then Michigan State ended up winning the, the conference and going to the playoff. Is that Was that the ceiling of what this I conference think, can be? It might be in the current structure. I mean, I'm really fascinated to see what it would look like in an eight-team playoff or whatever, you know, whatever you want to expand it to. But, you know, if you look at all these states and all these backbones of these teams, like Pennsylvania and Ohio were the two states in the Big Ten that 
we would all consider fertile recruiting states. Like they're competitive with, they're not Florida, they're not Texas, they're not California, but they're good. They're good. They're the two best Midwest, right? I would assume we would call, I don't know, it's been Pennsylvania Midwest state. I don't know if that's Midwest, whatever it is. I don't know. I think <laughs> Pittsburgh is Midwest. Philadelphia is. I'm not, I'm not going to count New Jersey because Rutgers is barely in the Big Ten and New Jersey has been a whoever wants to come in here and take whoever you want for as long as I can remember but, recruiting. But three major Big Ten programs but, are in New Jersey. Right, Big Ten. True. True. Yeah. But at the same time, like when we're talking about building depth throughout your program, the biggest reason why Ohio State is still able to just vice grip everybody. And now they're going around and just getting kids from all over the place. But you know, when there's top talent in the state of Ohio, it doesn't go somewhere else. It doesn't go to Michigan anymore. It doesn't take a chance anywhere else. And a lot of that's on Michigan and a lot of that's on Ohio State just being really good about that. So I think that that's part of it too. Like the state of Ohio, the, the only way the Big Ten in my eyes here is going to get more competitive would be for people to go into Ohio and make it harder for Ohio State to just have this easy base to fall back on. That wouldn't raise the ceiling of the league though. And so, you know, to the question of that, I don't think the, the league can go any higher in this four-team situation. I think you've seen the top of it. Ohio State won a title. They've gotten to the championship game, what, one other time? I mean, they could win another one, but, like, is anybody else getting in there? Is anybody else in this league, from what we saw in the playoff the last two years, could anybody else in the Big Ten hang in any of those games? Yeah. From what I'm seeing, uh, i got to tell you, on one day, maybe, like maybe, but you know, on an average every time bet, Ohio State loses a, a game in the Big Ten, it's a shock, and it shouldn't be that. Yeah, way. it's like it what just happened be a shock. here. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and right. you know, it, when they're recruiting at that level, there's only, I mean, the SEC is the only conference that has multiple, uh, yeah, right. multiple programs like that. So the ACC has Clemson. The Pac-12 is kind of there for the taking. Oregon had a great cycle. But here's a stat, um, and I need to update it once all the dust settles from this signing period. But in the early signing period, 53 of the top 100 players in the country signed with five schools. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah, it's crazy. The Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU. That number and gets three bigger of those every year. SEC. That number gets bigger and every it gets year. Bi- every yeah. year, and yeah. I actually should probably go back and add it up every single year uh, sure for the grown. past five and see if it's growing. Especially mm-hmm. during a year where kids aren't visiting, they just fall back on going to the place that's already established. Yeah, but 100%. The, the thing that I will say is that there is another SEC school out there, and I went to Kentucky and wrote about this, that has made a living on taking the leftovers in Ohio. Because mm-hmm. every year that Ohio State signs one of these crazy recruiting classes, it's yeah. another year where they're taking less out of their own state. And there's an entire SEC program that isn't going to go win a national title, but it's pretty competitive every week and would be very competitive in the Big Ten based off of that state's that state's talent. Right. So the three or four star prospect that goes to Kentucky, the Lynn Bowdens of the world, and I know he had some issues in high school, and but just as an example, he should be going to Michigan, or he should be going to Michigan State. Michigan State made the playoff off of Ohio talent, so I do think that making it harder on Ohio State to recruit their own kids is step one. And you know, the the thing that I find so fascinating is looking at these recruiting departments and how they expand and you have to have an identifiable strategy. And the thing that has always been so puzzling to me, especially about Michigan is, is I can't define what their strategy yeah, is. It's, it's, They're kind of all over, the place, all over the place. And it's like Ohio state is identify the top six players in Ohio, recruit the hell out of them, 
until they commit. And a lot of times they commit early. So mm -hmm. once they commit early, they don't have to spend any more energy recruiting them. They can take that energy and expand out from a 250-mile radius than a 500-mile radius until they can find their guys. And it's like, what's Penn State's plan? It's not to capture Pennsylvania only, even though that's a fun thing to say in your press conference. They didn't do that. <laughs> what's Michigan's plan? They're, Michigan used to be competitive with Ohio State because obviously Urban Meyer changed the game, right? Like we're not going to act like he didn't just exist and right, elevate yeah. them into the Alabama world. But Michigan, from when I was living there, every single year it felt like they were less and less of a presence in that state. And it's like even if you lose battles, uh, you guys remember um, Zach Harrison's recruitment and how exciting that was when it came down to signing day and it was between Ohio State? That has to happen all the time. <laughs> Even if Michigan happens. loses, they have to. They have to. So, but they have to. Yeah. They have to expend the energy to make it harder because Ohio State got Harrison. But what other five-star prospect? Even if they don't get the kid, did they miss out on because they didn't weren't able to spend as much time recruiting that kid? And that's like part of the battle. It's not always about who you sign and how many four stars or five stars you have in your class. Mm -hmm. It's time is a currency, and how do you spend that time? And by Michigan basically ignoring the top talent in Ohio because they feel like it's not worth their time. They're making it easier for Ohio State to go sign these mega classes and create the gap that's even larger. So I think that every Big Ten team, and that's why I think Mel Tucker was a pretty interesting hire with his background at Ohio State and being an Ohio native, is how many of these Big Ten teams that are with least drivable are in that state making it harder on Ohio State, maybe getting a kid or two. So the leftovers or the guys that Ohio State cuts at the end because they don't have room for them. There's so much opportunity there, and I don't know that everybody has that identifiable plan of, Here's step one, here's step two, here's step three, here's how we're going to do this. You can't just piecemeal together a recruiting class. No, and I think it's important to note again, and you mentioned it, this, Urban's, <coughs> the, the goal for the Big Ten, the Big Ten and catching Ohio State is undoing what Urban Meyer did to the rest of the league by just putting Ohio State on a rocket and, and you know, they just changed everything. Everything went nuts. In 2012, Brady Hoke and Greg Madison were in Ohio all the time. They were in, you know, they got... Taco Charlton, Chris Wormley, I don't know if they were in 12 or 13, but 12, 13, you know, you yeah. got guys like Demonte Thomas, Wormley, Charlton, Ben Gideon played in the NFL over and over. There's a bunch of guys, right? That, And that is when the 12, 13, 14, that's when this whole thing went from Michigan. Ohio State was like right here. Michigan was just under, and then it just started doing this. And so it just started expanding. And, you know, when things fell apart for Hoke, um, you know, when Harbaugh got here, it was, you know, Recruiting in Ohio for Michigan had fallen completely apart. Um, Urban Meyer had completely taken that thing back over. Uh, they won every head-to-head -head at the end of Hoke's tenure. And Brady was a good recruiter, is a good recruiter, and so is Madison. So that's a really good duo, especially in the state of Ohio. Michigan was making noise. Urban came in here and said, that's enough of that. And so you have to be able to get back in there. I think that that's a big, big part of it. And you mentioned Zach Harrison. The reason why they Michigan had any hope in that recruitment was Greg Madison and Al Washington, right? Those guys were hired, what, two weeks before he signed? <laughs> Something like that? Like, don't, that's Urban Meyer doing it again. He, like, Urban retires, and then three <laughs> weeks later, they hire uh, Greg Madison, Urban's best friend from years and years, and Al Washington, whose dad, dad played at Ohio State, right? And yeah. Al's from Columbus. Like, there it is. I mean, it's like, at some point, you got to start playing chess here, right? You got to start catching up with some of the moves. Urban got themselves. Urban got Ohio State, I feel like, so far in front that they've been able to just make all these moves seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, pieces ahead of everybody else. And you've got to find some way to just like whittle that down. I think it's just got to be a overtime thing. It's not going to happen overnight for sure. But it starts, I think you're right. I think it starts going into Ohio and at least splitting their 
time and making life somewhat difficult for them on some level because right now it's just autopilot. I mean, there's no other way to look oh, at it. Ohio State just beat their all-time average player rating record that they sent in 17. So sure. this is one of the best recruiting classes of all time. Yeah, and 17 got, uh, 20, was a whopper. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And that's the one where Okuda was a part of and you were really aware of that with the Lions and stuff. Yeah. But if you had to guess without looking at it right now, uh, of the 21 players that are currently signed to Ohio State in this insane class, how many are from Ohio? Oh, Just guess. It's, I would say 10? 9 or 10? 6. 6? Okay. Not and as many gets, as it used to. Be, to yeah, right. When Trestle was around, it used to be 12. 20, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so right now, Ohio State, as you could probably predict, um, they signed the top four players in Ohio. Right. So, like, off the top, just, Get just one wipe down. Or, or just, up. like, wipe off the top four out of the list. Don't even bother with those four. Yeah. But there are a lot of really good running – or a lot of really good talented players in the state of Ohio that went elsewhere. And sure. Michigan got a player in Ohio this year, but he was the 17th best player. Schools that came into Ohio and took players that are ranked higher than the highest rated Ohio prospect in Michigan's class. Notre Dame, Wisconsin, West Virginia, Northwestern, Alabama, and LSU. So a lot of those things, too. It's like if you are going to run into Ohio State in Ohio, but then you have to run into Alabama, is it good work? I, I get that. Yeah. But there are top 350 players nationally that are within a two-and-a-half-hour drive away from Ann Arbor mm-hmm. who are there for the taking. And, like, you'll see this Corey Kiner kid who's going to LSU. He's going to be one of the best running backs in America in a few years. And Ohio State happened to get a five-star running back from – from Virginia who might be starting next year, but there are, there are places where you can poke holes and you can start making it a little bit more. And then if you get somebody out of the same high school, then the next year when they have a five-star kid, you're in a better position to get that kid. And I think it just kind of involves effort. Um, it does. But, yeah. you know, effort and, and determination and not just that, an identifiable plan. <laughs> and then once you have your plan, it might not work 100% of the time, but if you make Ohio State work harder, their class across the board gets worse. Um it doesn't go to being like the 15th, but, you know, you make things harder on them. And then all of a sudden you start chipping away and you have to become a you have to become a threat to them in some way, whether or not it be on the field or in recruiting. I think it's possible. Yeah, you have to make but in terms of, somehow. Yeah, yeah in, in terms of this, the way that things are going in the Big Ten, though, I think this is a pretty typical year. Now, I, I just like I wonder, um, do you think and you've mentioned this a few times in passing on this podcast, Nick, but do you think that better recruiting leads to playoff Um Births, or do you think for not the Ohio State of the world, but for the rest, um, or do you think expanded playoff equals better recruiting? I think expanded playoff might equal better recruiting in this case because this this everybody just going to these top teams that just have all the talent because that's what's happening there now. Now you have a situation where you have five teams or whatever it is, five six whatever, with such a large percentage of this talent that you know these high level. We we heard this from Najee Harris seventeen thousand times. Like I wanted to go to Alabama because I wanted to play against the best players in the country. I'm not going somewhere where I am like so far ahead of everybody and I'm not going to get better. Like, I think that that's become a huge thing. Um, and we've seen that. So if you're a kid from Boston and LSU comes calling, maybe you listen because you're like, do I want to go there? Or do I want to go to Boston college and be like 18 steps ahead of everybody else on my team and not get better? Like that's, that's a big thing now. Like you have to be able to it's sell clicky. that. So yeah, it is. And it's, but it's also, you know, the best kids, they want to compete and they want to be, you know, you don't want to come down the, the line three years from now and say and have somebody say, OK, well, you know, all your stuff looks great on tape, but you played a bunch of chumps. You didn't play anybody and you didn't practice against anybody all year. You, you know, like that's all. I'm sure I'm sure you had a good time. But like your NFL tape is 
some way is going to be determined by, you know, who's around you, who's helping you get better, all these things. And that's what, so it's clicky. You've had, I think you need to expand the playoff. That's the only way you can get some parity back in here. Uh, and if that doesn't work, then no, yeah, then the answer would have been that it's just people need to work harder and they need to find other ways around. And if people are cheating, then you need to either cheat smarter than them or find a way to turn them in and get them, get them exposed. Yeah. Because I'm getting real be- sick and tired of hearing the whole, I know you are too, but like, well, they're yeah. just cheating. Well, it's like, okay, well, if they're cheating, then you guys got to tell us, like, let us know, <laughs> like, show us, like, because just saying yeah. they're cheating is not... That's not a it's, thing. So, you know, like, that's another one. That's just another remember, one your favorite team does everything by the book, and the team that right. you hate the most is cheating. You know, and that's, so. you know, maybe they are, I, you know. But it's just like the interesting question, I guess, in college football, not just the Big Ten, but it pertains to the Big Ten in Michigan and Penn State and Wisconsin is of that stat that I told you, 53 of the top 100 players. Alabama signed 10 of the top 50. The 10th worst player in Alabama's class is number 50 nationally. And I don't think people realize how insane it is to be the 50th best player in high school football. There are no, a million you, of them. You're a program-changing player. If yeah. And he's the 10th worst player in Bama's program. And, like, I'm just trying – in that class. And I'm trying to think, like, if you don't love Ohio State – which majority of the people who listen to this probably don't. And if you don't love Alabama or Clemson and all the teams that are in that same annual uh, circus of a college football sport where we just all wait another year before we can see Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson Clemson play each other, how do you fix it? Is it a coaching thing where you get better coaches? Obviously not. I mean, you can't just, you know, the best coaches in the world are coaching the, the schools already. Is it expanded playoff? Is it reduction in scholarship totals? Which, you know, seems like a good idea. You make it 75 instead of 85, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's 10 less five-star prospects going to these other schools, and there's more scholarships available. But then, on the flip side, you have safety concerns, and you have the thing of of taking away opportunities for free educations from high school players. There's no tricky – or there's no easy cookie-cutter answer for this question. But, Nick, how do you think that could be fixed? Do you think it's as simple as – Expanded playoff means more big time games for middle tier programs to convince no, these kids. It's not as or simple like what's the route? That. It's not as simple as that. I think that that's the one thing that has to happen for it to have a chance. But more so, you know, I think that we've talked a little bit about earlier, you know, with Auburn firing Gus Malzahn and paying him twenty five million dollars to leave. Like, I think schools need to be smarter about how they hire football coaches. I think they need to be smarter about how they vet them, scout them, identify them in future situations. I mean. How many times, how many more times are we going to see these ridiculous situations where these coaches just come in here with an agent, they negotiate with a school that isn't using an agent or a lawyer, just gives them whatever they want, and then the whole thing falls apart and you got to start over again in two years or three years or whatever it is. And then, you know, I think that that's such a big thing. You know, continuity um, is so important in football. and And I know that, you know, a team like Indiana is a great example, right? Like, they have a really good thing going with Tom Allen. Like, he's got a really good pulse on what... They want to be as a program. They have a really good, you know, ability to identify guys that they know will fit within their program. I think they do a nice job of making sure their staff is diverse in a way that they can, you know, approach kids from different backgrounds and different areas. And, you know, they recruit all over and kind of pick and hunt and find guys. And they found a lot, right? And it's worked out. I think you have to be self-aware. I think you have to be able to have great leadership at the top. And you have to get lucky. But in order for some of that to happen, you also have to have some of this top thing break up. And I think the playoff has to be kind of the first step. But beyond that, no, teams have to be – schools specifically have to be smarter um, with how they spend their money, where they put it, and all this other yeah. stuff. Because that's going to tighten up too coming up mm-hmm. soon here. I mean, we're going to yeah. see 
you know, how COVID impacts some of these budgets. We've already seen some of it, but down the road. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how everything kind of maps out because, you know, you have, like we said, it was clickish. You have these camps, these openings, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the big time camps right. and you have the top 100 players in America at these places, they go into these camps. They're all considering the same five schools. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, like, and they're and all like, there talking. <laughs> Twenty-five just, of them aren't even takes. Like that's what we've gotten to this point. We're like, you got yeah. kids. You got kids that are in the top seventy-five that aren't takes. Can't, can't Alabama, like, like like Caesar Ruiz went to Michigan a couple years ago, right? Um, what year was that? Seventeen, and he was a first-round pick there this year. He was a really good center for him, obviously three-year starter. Like he was. I, if I remember right, he was really big on Bama, and he was like the number 80th player, and they were like, no, we're good. So he was like, okay, I'll go to Michigan. <laughs> like, he went to Michigan because yeah. Bama was like, no, we're not taking you, and you're an NFL first-round draft pick. So it's like, okay, that's part of it. Because if you're a fan of one of these five schools, then everything's great. Yeah, right. But for the health of the sport, <laughs> it shouldn't feel, and I don't know if I'm harping on this, and this is part of the reason when once I get to the third or fourth Budweiser when we're at the bar <laughs> – it shouldn't feel this hopeless to catch them. No, yeah. And I don't know if that's a Michigan problem or if it's a college football problem. I think it's problem. a college football. I think it's a both, but it's more it's become a college football problem. I think Michigan's always been the the easy window for a lot of people and they have their own issues, don't get me wrong, that they can fix and everything else, but it's been the easy window that people have looked at and just said like what happened here? Because like once upon a time you and Ohio State were basically neck and neck and then, you know, this has just turned into just a complete joke. So like I think that's the easy one to maybe look at, but then when you start looking around in other places, like Texas can't figure out anything. What is Texas? And they've averaged 10 Texas? wins. Yeah, but they can't win. <laughs> they haven't won a title. They're not in the playoff. No, I know, but 10 wins, 10 wins a year shouldn't be the joke of the And they sport. just fired another coach. So like, yeah, that's my point. Like, yeah. It just, it's never enough. And, and so you get to this point where you convince yourself that 10 wins isn't enough. So you fire your coach and start completely over again. And if anybody thinks that starting over again is going to be like Urban Meyer to Ryan Day starting over again? No, that's not starting over again. That's just running still, handing the baton off. That is not what all these other places yeah. are doing. They're just restarting, and it just causes all these issues right over again. And it's I think new, that Texas you know, and Michigan so. are very similar. Right? Yeah, probably. And then Tennessee would positions. be your extreme fall apart. You know, Tennessee would be your yeah. extreme in that category. Yeah, and I don't know if it's just because these are bigger time programs, but like those – it doesn't seem to be much of a, a discussion point because, like Wisconsin, I think for what they are and their recruiting, but they're class, self-aware, they aren't they? Are they self-aware? They know what they are. Yeah, they right. know what they need, and they go exactly. get what they need, and they are what they are. Yeah. And you know, for a while there last year, they were beating Ohio State's ass <laughs> at yeah. halftime at the national of uh, the Big Ten championship game. So, you know, I don't know if Wisconsin's um, idea is to win a national championship, but Wisconsin has become the best version of what Wisconsin can be, maybe more yeah. so than any other program in the country. So they deserve a lot of credit. You know, there's a lot of, you know, unknown faces, and maybe Graham Mertz will change that now that they have some high-level talent there. But, you know, it's just such an interesting thing to discuss because, listen, I covered Ohio State for 10 years, and I feel like all 10 of those years were the same. <laughs> You know, and it's just like yeah, right. elite level recruiting class, playoff yelling, win the national championship, elite level recruiting class, playoff yelling, losing the playoff, elite level recruiting class. It's like over and over and over again. And I think for the sake of fanhood, and maybe Ohio State fans don't even want to admit this, but some parody makes it more fun. And oh, it's yeah. like yeah. the only way that we can get more parody is by this discussion being like, holy crap, look at this class that Minnesota just put together. They are going to be dangerous. And it's just like, 
people might be listening to this and are annoyed. Well, why do we spend so much time talking about Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State? And it's like because they're the only ones doing anything noteworthy in the right. recruiting realm to even discuss. And, you know, Michigan State was a team at one point that did this really well where they took a bunch of three-star yeah. prospects that weren't very noteworthy, developed mm-hmm. them, and in every three or four years were really good. And that's what, like, the Minnesotas of the world have to do and the Northwesterns. And Northwestern, again, there's some really good coaches and some really good talent evaluators in the conference. The problem is, is that we view the sport through the prism of national championships and 85 to 95% somewhere in that range of the sport can't physically do it. Yeah. They don't have the players to do it. So the next step is which, which teams in the big 10 are, are going to catch your eye in order to kind of maybe be in that second tier. And it's like, I think that, Pat Fitzgerald is doing the best possible job he po- he could do at Northwestern. Taking them to multiple Big Ten championship games and losing to Ohio State is Northwestern's ceiling. But it's like, how many teams in the conference have reached their ceiling? Like, Nebraska hasn't. Right. I mean, depending on what ceiling you want to live under if you're a Nebraska fan, but Wisconsin probably has. I think so. Um, Ohio, Ohio State has. Michigan's ceiling is blocked by Ohio State, but Michigan hasn't reached its ceiling. Yeah. Maryland is getting closer, but like what's Maryland's? I think defining your ceiling as a program too kind of helps you understand and appreciate the context of what these recruiting rankings even mean. It's like Minnesota just had their heart broken. That uh, top 125 player who, uh, Avante Dickerson, who decommitted a month ago and now signed with Oregon, was a major piece of their class. But they signed four four-star prospects. Yeah. And like Iowa State almost just won the Big 12 with four star, four four-star prospects in their entire roster. So you can put together a pretty good team, but it's kind of the same thing in the ACC. The SEC is an animal of its own. You know, Tennessee signed the number 10 class in the country in the 2020 class and was the seventh best class yeah. in their own conference. So it's a completely different world. Yeah. But the Big 12, Big 10, ACC, you've got one big bad wolf in there, and then you have some other programs in there that might be pretty good, and then the rest is kind of just middling into, like, who can go win the Capital One Bowl. And until there's more parity in in recruiting in general, I think that this is going to be a, a constant. And I don't know, as somebody who, who covers recruiting and spends a lot of time thinking about it, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I, I don't know either. I don't think there is an easy answer. I think that's why this sport yeah, – but it, something has to happen. I think that that's the only thing that anybody can say. Something has to change. I think it has to start with the playoff because, like you said, I mean, everybody outside of five, maybe six, if Notre Dame's feeling okay right now, they won't be in a year probably if they don't make the playoff. So, like, everybody, yeah. everybody is miserable most of the time in college football. Like, that's – that's what this has become. It used to be, not even that long ago, you could still miss the playoff, win the Capital One Bowl, and and feel pretty good about yourself going into February, right? Yeah. You can't do that anymore. Like you can't if you <laughs> if you are good enough to be in the Capital One Bowl, you're probably pretty mad that you weren't in the play- and you're not in the playoff, and you're gonna have yeah. like seven of your best players not playing in the Capital One Bowl because they're going to the draft, right? Like so. Yeah. There's so many other thing factors too. that are happening now: transfer portal, that sort of thing. I don't know where we're going, but something's going to have to change because the game itself is changing with the portal and everything else. I mean, it's it's going to be different. And the thing that that's the most difficult, and then we'll wrap this up because I know I've wasted about an hour of your day. But uh, the team that recruited best in Texas was Alabama. Well, sure. You know, the team that is <laughs> – I'm just saying, like, regionally speaking, the reason why college football is so fun – is because there's a sense of ownership and a sense of community with these teams, right? You love Michigan because you 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 grew up in Detroit and you you know or you love Ohio State because you're an Ohio native and Texas and it, it, yeah. Now that the sport is becoming more national and you have the big programs like gobbling up the best players from all these regions, it's like 
te- like Texas shouldn't be a funnel for Alabama. No, <laughs> you know, no, no. Florida shouldn't be a, a well, Alabama also recruited the best in Florida right. too. But like Florida State, I think only signed one top twenty-five player in Florida this year. Like that's what's happening in the sport right now. And like these teams are coming in in LA. USC had a pretty good cycle, but California was the state that used to prop up the entire Pac-12. And now five of the top ten players in in California are going to no- to Notre Dame, Ohio State, Clemson, and in Alabama, and it's like until you, like, there's like a way you have to be able to wrangle the top teams in because they're just basically cannibalizing the entire sport. I also that's think, supposed to be the the feeding ground for an entire conference is now going to play Alabama. Right. I also think that the FBS football. This isn't breaking news or anything else. FBS football and the NCAA have outgrown each other. Like I just think that the whole thing needs to be. It needs to look different. It needs to be different. It just does. There's too many people in FBS. Number one. Like why are there? We have all these debates every year about these teams. Like, why didn't Coastal Carolina get in? Okay, I got it. That's fair. But, like, do we think that Coastal Carolina was going to give anybody a game? Do we care? I don't know. Like, what's the point of that? So, like, at some point, the sport needs to look different because it's changed. It needs to be structured different. It needs to be aligned different. The rules need to be different. I think recruiting rules need to change big time in a lot of areas. Uh, We'll see what happens with NIL, with the payment and everything else. I mean, that's going to be a factor as well. There's a lot of things happening right now. They're going to change this sport, and it'll be interesting to see if the presidents of these schools lean into that and, and go with it. Because I want, yeah, I wonder if they if they they make a expanded playoff, and know. you have five automatic bids where the sure. team who wins your conference, regardless of schedule, resume, and all the bullshit that we argue about all mm-hmm. year, goes away. All you have to do is win your conference based on the structure of your conference. So that makes it more regional, right? So right. the team that wins the Pac-12 is going to be in the playoff. So that might mean that if you go to a Pac-12 school, you might think, hey, here at Washington, if we get all the best players in Washington, right. we go down into in. L.A., yeah, right. somebody from this region is getting in. If that make has an impact on region, because, like, to be honest with you, I think the reason why, and, you know, maybe this is just a theory and you can tell me I'm an idiot, but I think the reason why the sport is – so top heavy right now is because the teams at the top are recruiting everywhere better than they ever could before. Yeah. And national recruiting was always a thing. You know, there's a kid from LA that used to go to Michigan or a kid from Austin, Texas who went to Florida. Like, I mean, that stuff always happened, but at the, the, they're going in, in waves now. Like, yeah. I mean, you got two of the top three players in the state of Texas are already committed to Ohio state in the 2022 class. And it's like, those kids should be going to Oklahoma and Texas so that when we are watching football in November and excited for the big, the big 12 championship game, that the best players from that region are playing for those best regional teams. And I don't know if, if expanding the playoff and making every conference a guaranteed inclusion in that kind of make it more regional again, but it's like, or do you like make a rule that says you have to take X number of players from your home state? I don't know what you can do. <laughs> you can't take, if you're Alabama, you can only take four or five star yeah. prospects. And then you can start seeing the corruption in the rankings. All of a sudden, Corey Foreman's a 200th ranked player in the country. I don't know. But I don't know what the fix is. But hey, Nick, I really appreciate you uh, you joining yes, me. Sir. You made the podcast a lot better. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. And uh, stay tuned with the big football shows. We continue to break down the conference moving forward. And you know, hopefully speaking, in the next year or two when NIL stuff comes out, then these rankings will be a little bit more competitive and it'll be a more well-rounded conversation. <laughs>